you know, when I was in the run and shoot real quickly, it was funny, you know, our, our plays would be 80 streak, 80 Z go, 81 X go. When I got to Denver in 1999, after they won back-to-back Super Bowls, we had a play called near right, near right, tight, close, F left, fake 35, fullback counter, QB keep pass right, fullback slide right. It was 18 words. And I, yeah. I, I know that play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I looked at Gary Kubiak, and I'm standing in the huddle in front of Shannon Sharp and Rod Smith and Ed McCaffrey and Terrell Davis. And yeah. They just won back-to-back Super Bowls. I'm like, Gary Kubiak, I called him. I'm like, Coop, I can't remember this. I can't memorize this. I just got here two days ago. Get in here and help me call this thing, you know? Welcome to 90% Mental and the In and Out of the Pocket podcast series with All-Pro quarterback Jake the Snake Plumber and mental performance coach Grant Parr, where the mental game is discussed and discovered by the best quarterbacks and offensive-minded professionals in the business. From overcoming adversity, celebrating mental wins, to actionable mental skill strategies and more, you'll learn how to mentally navigate in and out of the pocket. Today in the pocket, Jake and Grant sit down with Chris Miller, former Pro Bowl NFL quarterback, to discuss the evolution of his mental preparation throughout his collegiate and professional career and the attributes that developed his mentally tough mindset. Chris shares his experiences of being drafted into the NFL and intimate moments of competing against Hall of Fame football players. Ready List Sports is the future of sports playbooks with its digitized integration of multiple learning styles that helps coaches teach better and players learn more efficiently. Engineered by former professional quarterbacks, Ready List Sports' revolutionary play drawing tool will save coaches countless hours creating plays. Ready List Sports also provides the players accessibility to study their playbooks using the Ready List Sports app for iOS and Android. It's like having the playbook in your pocket. The best part of ReadyLists are the auto-generated tests the players take after studying that help ensure retention of your plays. Now let's all huddle up and go visit ReadyListSports.com. Welcome back to the In and Out of the Pocket podcast with Jake the Snake Plumber and myself, Grant Parr. And we're really excited to bring this show to talk about the mental game and get into the the mindset of former and current quarterbacks and quarterback coaches. Uh, Jake and I just are, are so enthusiastic about the mental game, and it was a no-brainer for us to come together and and to uh, share this show with everybody. So with that being said, uh, Jake, how you doing, my man? I'm doing great, Grant. Just uh, We keep having some wonderful guests on the show, and today is uh, another example of that. Talking, like you said, with quarterbacks, quarterback coaches, coaches, People that have done it at a high level, um, this guy's done it all. So we're we're excited to bring our guest on today. But like you said, man, just getting through the uh, pandemic and uh, challenge ourselves to get better each day with some good questions in the pocket and some good questions out of the pocket. And uh, yeah, I'm ready to roll, man. Let's bring our guest on. All right. Well, our guest actually was a first round pick in the NFL draft in 1987 and played in the league for 10 years and earned all pro honors and uh, is now coaching professionally and so our guest today is chris miller chris how you doing my man i'm doing good man thanks for having me on i'm excited to uh, talk a little bit more football all right man so are we so let's let's get into it let's uh 
Let's kind of start when when you were back in uh, at Oregon, and talk a little bit about how you managed some uh, the pressure and the expectations coming out of Oregon. So when when you were drafted in the first round by the Atlanta Falcons, I'm sure you were excited and you were proud and you're going through all these uh, positive emotions. But what was that experience like, and and how did you handle the pressure? Uh, coming into, you know, being the first round pick and going to the Falcons? You know, it was kind of an interesting process. I, I Rich Brooks was my college coach at Oregon, and I had a guy named Bob Toledo who was my offense coordinator. And and Bob really did a nice job on, uh, you know, approaching the mental aspect of the game, being in the quarterback room. And he played quarterback, so he, it was one of those unique uh, circumstances where he had been in there, you know. And, and guys who play quarterback that have been in the pocket understand kind of what it takes from a mental standpoint and being in the pocket with those eyes. And so Bob kind of prepared me for the draft and, and what that process would be about. You know, it was kind of cool going through it because I had Mike Holmgren come up and work me out and, you know, a bunch of other guys. And back in the day, Holmgren gave me 50 bucks after the workout said, here, go have a few beers on me. So it was kind of <laughs> kind of cool, you know. Yeah, we're talking 19. 19- 1987 so it's a little bit different day and age with no social media and such but you know I didn't feel much pressure you know I was kind of a uh, young immature guy when I came out of college you know I was a hometown kid in Eugene Oregon and, and stayed at home and, and played at University of Oregon so when I went out uh, the, the Atlanta Falcons number one it was a strike year in 1987 so there were about 13 or 14 of us first round draft picks that weren't going to cross the picket line. So we didn't sign until Halloween and uh, Halloween night, Whoa. matter of fact. And yeah. So when I signed the Falcons were two and seven, you know, they were two and seven and really struggling. So when I got there, it wasn't a true sense or, or feeling of, wow, this is what the NFL is about. And I'm so excited to be here. It was kind of like, you know, half these guys had their cars running and were kind of ready to get the season over with, you know? So, so it was different from that standpoint, but, I wish I would have been a little bit more mature, you know, early in my career. Um, there weren't as many uh, organizations that were run excellently, you know, from the top to the bottom uh, in terms of ownership and, and GMs and coaches and such. And and the Falcons, I think, had a three and 23 record as an organization. And, you know, so they were kind of struggling trying to find themselves. But I was I was uh, my eyes were wide open and I sure uh, had a lot of fun in the Atlanta, Georgia nightlife and lifestyle. So. It was a, a myriad of uh, emotions and experiences, and but it was a lot of fun as well. Ah, uh, man, you're taking it back to the to those days when your dreams, right there, finally uh, able to to go reach it. Um, I want to yeah. talk about, you know, prior to that, you know, when did you know that the quarterback position maybe was your chance to just, you know, go to college? Because you were a three sports star growing up. Uh, you played all the all the baseball, yeah. basketball, football, and I'm sure you played other sports and are good at damn near anything you try. But when did you kind of realize, um, you know, hey, that I'm probably going to be a quarterback? And then maybe t- talk a little bit about how important it was that you did play all those sports. Yeah, great question, Jake. Um, you know, I played minor league baseball for the Seattle Mariners. I was drafted out of high school by the Toronto Blue Jays in the 17th round, and and didn't end up signing, but then played American Legion baseball uh, my freshman year in college and was young enough to do that. And then I was drafted in the fifth round by the Seattle Mariners. So I signed a baseball contract to to play baseball over the summer and then kind of compare it to football. And, uh, you know, I got moved up quickly and I faced John Candelaria and Steve Howe and Mike Norris and <laughs> wow. Steve McCaddy and some of these major league guys down in, down in long season class A ball down in the California league. And, uh, 
and I think I played about 35, 40 games there, batted about 185 or so. I was batting about 5'10 five, five, in, in rookie ball. But uh, I said, you know what, I think I need to stick to football. These guys, it was hard to see that slider and hit that slider, and, and I didn't have, oh. you know, a whole lot of work at it. So, so I pursued football and, and uh, you know, ended up being a first-round draft pick like you guys mentioned. But I think I would really encourage kids to, uh, you know, play as many sports as you can, especially in your youth sports and your high school sporting years. I know it's a lot harder nowadays with how things are much more specialized with all the club sports and year-round training and private training and all those things. I know it's harder for kids, but Jake, I'm sure you were, and, and Grant, you probably were multi-sport athletes back in the day. So I highly recommend it. I think college coaches, it's more appealing to college coaches to recruit multi-sport athletes. But I think in terms of just the genuineness and the pureness of, of youth sports, man, kids need to do as much as they can through high school because, you know, things get more serious afterwards. Absolutely. And I think Jake, I mean, that, that probably fires you up because Jake and I are big proponents of, of not specializing in sport. And, uh, you know, and like you said, I, I played five sports when I was younger. Um, Jake played a ton of sports. So I think what you're saying has tons of merit. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, I, I wish I could have done track in high school and, and golf really wasn't hip or cool back in the day, but, you know, I turned out to be a decent golfer and, and enjoyed that as well. But you see kids nowadays that are just they're specializing in one sport as freshmen or high school and, and, you know, age kids in high school, whether it's football year round or whether it's, you know, wrestling or, or girls playing club uh, lacrosse or volleyball or right. whatever it might be. And, and it's, it's just tough. Now I know the numbers narrow down too. I mean, a high school basketball team, you have 12 guys on the, on the bench or 12 girls. So it, it does narrow down as you go, but you know, I think, I think, you know, life's about having fun and, and high school is about the purest form of sport there is. So I'm like you guys, man. I, I, I would encourage, you know, Jake, you've got young kids, nine, six and two or three, I think you said. So, you know, I'd encourage them to do as many things as they can and figure it out as they go. And then they may choose to, to narrow it down or specialize further down the road. But for sure, man, I guess with that being said, and, and the, you know, you saying you are a decent golfer and you would have ran track. Tell me, you know, from your development as an athlete just growing up and then going into playing football and as a quarterback what sport really uh you know taught you you know the mental toughness and then you know perseverance because because people think oh i can't play on the varsity baseball team but you could go play golf and i believe that being mentally tough in any sport you choose is a key so what sport for you maybe outside of the big three did you play that that influenced you or helped you become more mentally strong or, or maybe it enhanced your hand-eye coordination or anything like that? Well, I think probably on the hand-eye coordination point, you know, doing all of it really helped. You know, I, you know, some of us were, we were blessed. The good Lord blessed us with that skill set and the ability to, to have good hand-eye coordination. And we got those genes passed down from mom and dad. So, you know, kind of when I picked up a ball, I was just kind of good at it. And we went from sport to sport. I mean, when you were done with football, you set that sucker down. And I went down to play basketball yeah. the next day at Matt Court with some of the Oregon players, you know. And, and then when, uh, <laughs> when basketball was done, when basketball was done, we picked up the baseball and went and played spring baseball, and then American Legion baseball or whatever over the summer and, and squeezed in summer night basketball. So, um, but I'd say, you know, football by far, I think teaches you the, the most about mental toughness. You know, you get hit in the mouth, you throw four picks in a game. It's, it's how do you respond? You know, how do you bounce back and how yeah. do you, 
uh, gain that internal fortitude and that toughness. And, you know, even early in my career, Jake, I wasn't, you know, I, I scrimmaged and worked against Dan Marino every training camp when I was with the Atlanta Falcons and he was with the uh, Miami Dolphins. And, and I was so amazed at how he'd throw a couple picks in seven on seven. And it was like he threw two touchdowns, you know, he'd bounce back with that same swagger and shake it off. And I think the great ones had the ability to do so. And early in my NFL career, if I threw a couple picks or three picks in the first half, you know, I'd kind of go in the tank. I'd be worried about my next one and, and having a pick four lotto or something like that. So really I think I matured <laughs> later and, and, uh, you know, I think when I got my early to mid thirties, I gained that kind of, I mean, I was a tough son bitch. I'd stand in the pocket and take hits and get hit in the mouth and probably yeah. sometimes to my, my detriment, excuse my language there. But, um, you know, uh, but I became more mentally tougher, I think, as I matured and got older. But I think kids are so much more developed at a younger age with all this mental training you talk about, and these quarterback coaches and the elite 11s and all those things. I think they, they come ready-made more so to college and the NFL maybe than I did when I was younger. Mm. Yeah, and I want to bring up the mental game. Uh, you know, generally speaking, when, when we all played, we you know, we played the game in the 80s and the 90s, and, and back then – there wasn't an emphasis on mental skills training. It was just about doing your job, uh, just do your job. Um, how important do you think it is for quarterbacks in today's game to address their mental game? Well, I think it's really important. Um, you know, luckily I had a guy named Jack Wigmore in high school, my junior and senior year that played at Washington State. So he had, he, he again played the position, kind of had the ability, and he was kind of a psychology approach guy. So we did a lot of mental, uh, you know, practice and drills and, and visualizing and things. And, and then Bob Toledo was very good at that as well. So I was fortunate. Um, and I think some of the kids nowadays, I mean, if you're going to be a serious, a serious athlete and you kind of have the idea or you've been identified that, Hey, you got a chance to be a guy, especially in the quarterback realm, um, that mental training and development is really important. And I think a lot of the good quarterback training guys that are out there. I mean, I'm training five or six quarterbacks and I know a bunch of guys in the Northwest area that do and, and guys who are friends of mine in Texas and Georgia, you know, in Florida that do quarterback training. And I think a lot of the emphasis is focused on the mental development, you know, getting them up on the whiteboard, a la the John Gruden and Steve Mariucci quarterback school stuff and getting them comfortable up in front of a room, you know, just talking about a play and drawing up a play and talking about the protections and their reads and that type of development. So, I think even more so nowadays as the game's got more complex, it becomes even more important. Yeah, the de there's definitely been a trickle down from, uh, I think I call it the Peyton Manning effect, where he came into the game and guy knew everything about everything football has ever meant in the world of all time, and he could process it in that little amount of time when the clock was ticking down. And now I think too many coaches go taking it to the level of, you know, high school kids down into like eighth grade where they're putting them through so much. So, mental side and knowledge of the game is huge. Um, you know, that's why me, a buddy of mine have created a, a playbook for helping that learning curve called ready list sports. And, uh, you know, it's kind of fun to be in that realm. I don't coach, but I've provided the tool that helps coaches. And, uh, so, and I wanted to ask you from your playing days, which, you know, you had a 10 year career, just like myself, uh, which is an amazing accomplishment and a feat. So congratulations on that. And yeah, you know, when you, you coach you as well, you, you as well. Bro. Yeah. It was fun, man. I didn't win the Super Bowl. I, I dreamed about as a kid, but man, 10 years was pretty amazing. Uh, set you up for a lot of good stuff. I guess what I want to ask you about coaching is twofold. One, 
you know, you were coaching high school. You had a lot of success there uh, at Westland High School. Tried to go uh, to go to the XFL before all this happened, and that was shut down. But what is your ultimate, you know, coaching gig anywhere if you could choose? And then also, like, you know, why do you coach? What is it about it uh, being a former player now uh, that that really gets you into it? Why do you what like to coach? What what is it that brings the best out of you? Yeah, those are great questions. I I think number one. You know, I coached with the Arizona Cardinals with a good friend of mine and a former teammate, uh, Ken Wisenhunt, with the Atlanta Falcons. I, yeah. I coached with them in training camp in 2008 when they went to the Super Bowl, so I kind of got a taste of it. And Then I was a quarterback's coach there for uh, 2009 through 2011, got the good fortune to work with Kurt Warner and Larry Fitzgerald and Anquan Bolden and some of those guys and, and learned a lot of ball. Now, those guys put in a lot of hours, man. They put in long hours, and, and if the season's not going quite as you'd like, uh, you know, it can be a, re- a real grind. And But I did learn how to work, man. I really learned how to work uh, from Russ Grimm and Mike Miller, some Pittsburgh guys who were a lot tougher than I was, you know, Steel Town guys. And I was kind of a, a, a comfortable Eugene, Oregon kid. That mom and dad took care of me. You know, I didn't have to work too hard when I was younger. So, I really learned a great work ethic, but I think the number one thing I love, and I think the good Lord's put me on this earth to do is, is be a good role model and mentor to kids, uh, whether they're high school age kids or college age kids, um, you know, try to be a good example to them and pay it forward and some of the do's and the don'ts of life. And I think we all have coaches that really impacted us along our journey, whether it was, you know, middle school, high school, college, or the NFL level. So, you know, we learn things as we go along and try to, pass those things down and share those things with kids. The XFL opportunity was wonderful because I was working with a great friend of mine, June Jones, who was our head coach. And, yeah. and I was his offense coordinator and we were five and Oh, and had a two game, two game lead in the XFL and felt like we had a chance to make a championship run, but then obviously COVID-19 hit and, and that opportunity got shut down. So I'm getting ready to accept a high school head coaching position out here. Um, in the next day or two, it should be announced and then just kind of do that, you know, pay it forward and coach those kids. And it's kind of a rebuild project and program. So see if I can ignite some life and energy and enthusiasm, some success and the success and the, you know, those young men in the school and community. And, and then I'm going to, I think I'm going to try to pursue a college job. I, I finished up and graduated, got my college degree December 14th and 2018. So better late right. than never, but uh, congrats, yeah, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Totally. <laughs> Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it very much. So, but uh, yeah, I think I'd like to get my own college gig and lead a program and put my own staff together and kind of put my stamp on something like that. And maybe not have to recruit the entire country, but three or four neighboring states and use some of my connections in other areas and and, uh, help those young men, you know, have a great experience and then, you know, prepare them as dads and and, uh, husbands and and do that type of thing. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about uh, maybe in 20, late 2020, 2021, something like that. Awesome, man. That's great to hear. And, you know, and I can, I can share a little bit about going back to school. I, I got my master's about almost 20 years after I uh, got oh, my bachelor's. So, uh, good for you. It, it was, it was quite a process. I mean, once I got the rhythm down, it, it was actually, it was, it was pretty easy, but it was a little bit difficult trying to get back into the, the student mind, if you will. So, I was much more, I was much more prepared to learn and actually engaged. I graduated magna cum laude, got, uh, you know, good grades, and and uh, I actually became, you know, more knowledgeable and smarter uh, with, with current uh, learning how to write APA college-level papers and yeah. and doing those things. When I was in college, it was more of a blur. You know, I was, in, I was enjoying football and <laughs> right. 
baseball and females and fun yep. and, and uh, all the all the above but yeah it was cool man so congratulations grant that's awesome thank you man i appreciate it i appreciate it now i want to talk about advice um you know when you came into the nfl like, what was the best advice you got and if you were to give advice to a rookie quarterback what would that advice be well, Justin Herbert's a good friend of mine, and his dad was my high school all-state wide receiver and stuff. So I've known Justin, you know, since about third, fourth grade, and he was a, the number six pick in the first round of the San Diego Chargers this year. And I actually talked to him about an hour and a half before the draft. And these kids come out so prepared and so ready now, nowadays. You know, he's a four-point-plus student, and, you know, he's been very well prepared, and, and the colleges do such a good job of getting these guys ready. But what I told him is, you know, make sure – uh, you know, the great ones work the hardest. You know, I, I played with uh, Jerry Rice in the, in the NFL Pro Bowl and then saw that firsthand. And, and uh, you know, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, you know, uh, Jake referred to, to Peyton Manning kind of evolving the quarterback position from a mental standpoint and those things. So really what I told Justin was just, hey, man, give it your all. The great ones work the hardest. Make sure you study hard and work extremely hard. It goes extremely fast. So enjoy the journey and and really relish it. And sometimes I wish I would have relished it more. Uh, like I said, been a little bit more mature, yeah. but I was caught up in the bright, bright lights and the fun and, and those type of things for a while, but then kind of matured and grew up a little bit. But, you know, that, that would be really the main thing is enjoy the journey. Uh, make sure you work as, work as extremely hard as you can. I really witnessed that with Kurt Warner when I coached him, you know, his work ethic. And he, you know, he's a great example going from bagging groceries and couldn't find a gig to playing with the Iowa Barnstormers to being a 12 year NFL hall of famer. So, uh, and his work ethic was unbelievable. So that, that's probably be the number one advice I'd give young quarterback going into the league. What about but, coming uh, in? Did anybody give you any advice coming into the league? Uh, gosh, dang. Uh, when I got to Atlanta, it was probably, you know, the Mike Kins and the Bill Fralicks and, and those guys of the world. And, you know, we, we, we worked hard, but we played hard and we probably played a little bit too hard. You know, Atlanta was a lot of fun <laughs> and, and we played, we played a lot of golf and, and, uh, lived large out there. But, uh, you know, I really didn't get, uh, maybe the type of advice. And I was, like I said, man, I was, I was going wide open in those years as well. But, you know, really when you get into an organization, you hope that the veterans take you under their wing and show you the way. And we really didn't have that expectation level with the Falcons. Like I said, I think they had three winning seasons in 23 years when I got there. So, and I think the Arizona Cardinals might've been that way, you know, when Jake was there and and some of those organizations, there weren't as many, well-run organizations as there are now from top to bottom. So I think we kind of suffered with that a little bit, but, uh, but yeah, you know, that would be my, my advice for these guys nowadays is maybe, you know, and I think they have to be that way now with social media and all those things. You can't go out and rip for and run as much. You have to be really accountable. Otherwise you get fired and they bring in someone else. So. So that leads me into a question that I'd like to ask you as far as I kind of can see how you got to Atlanta and became one of the guys. I mean, you know, as uh, you're coming, like you mentioned, from Eugene, where it's pretty nice up there and you kind of live in a pretty privileged life up and good parents and everything provided, where you're, you're, go- you're joining a team of grown men that don't come from that kind of environment. They come from communities where they see their friends get shot or their family members struggle in poverty. And then you got a kid like Herbert, who already I hear people talking about him saying, he's, can he lead? He seems like such an extrovert, so quiet. And I was lucky to meet him at the at the College Hall of Fame, and then I saw him work out in L.A. earlier this year. 
I'm thoroughly impressed with this kid. I think he's like, he's a, you know, if you could build a quarterback, good Lord, he's built like what, what you would want. Athletic, strong arm, tall, fast, can move. But does he, from your point, from your experiences, as you obviously uh, came to Atlanta and learned how to work hard and maybe play a little harder to, to get that connection with your team, how do these kids do that nowadays with so much social media, pressure to live up to this standard that's obviously not like Kenny Stabler's standard of living, yeah. it's a fully yeah. different level. How does he do that? How does he engage with those guys mindfully and, and, and authentically in order to become the leader of that team because it's essential for the quarterback? So what, what would you say would be his biggest challenge when he gets uh, now into the league? Yeah, that's a, shoot, that's a phenomenal question. Um, you know, I think the part of the biggest process is I think the college coaches do a really good job of preparing these guys. You know, the high school coaches and, and maybe the quarterback coaches or private trainers really help in that process. So I think kids, when they, you know, a lot of the quarterbacks nowadays, when they leave high school and go to college, they're ready made. You know, they're ready to make that jump. And I think that's also the case in college when these kids go to the NFL. Now, the NFL game, is, as you know, Jake, uh, is amazing in terms of how much faster the game is compared to the college game, how yeah. much smaller the passing windows are, how quickly that pocket closes up on you, and how quickly you got to mm-hmm. see it, react, and get that ball out. You know, So I think that will be the biggest adjustment for Justin. Uh, he was in a shotgun system where you look over to the sideline and you get signal to play or it's on a – on a board, you know, with uh, John Candy or Phil Knight's picture on it, or or something like yeah. that. You know, kind of like, <laughs> kind of like, you know, kind of like Cam Newton, Cam Newton's transition he had to make, you know, from college into the league. So, but I think from a maturity standpoint, I think Justin is very uh, introverted kid, uh, and but he's extremely bright and cerebral. But I think he cuts up with the guys. I think that his teammates respect him. The players respect him. You know, and it might not be in a social partying standpoint like it was back in our day when I went and played in John Elway's golf tournament during the spring and Dan Marino and Jim Kelly and Boomer Esiason and Bernie Kosar and all these guys. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, it was the the offseasons were insane, you know, and I'm coming from you to Oregon and my eye and I'm – I'm single, 22, 23, with a few dollars in my pocket. My eyes were wide open, right? But, you know, uh, these kids are much more prepared. So I think number one as a quarterback, Justin, like you mentioned, has all the intangibles. He's got the size, the arm strength, all those things. He just needs those reps, and his eyes need to adjust to the NFL game and, and, and NFL concepts. And that's Anthony Lynn's, the head coach's job to do that and his, uh, you know, offense coordinator and quarterback coach. And, and they'll take time with him when he get, gets down there and make sure, you know, this is going to be a limited off season as well too. So he won't get as much work as you would in a normal off season. But I think the players are obviously excited to have him because they know the, the ability and, and talent level that he brings. Um, so the NFL guys will welcome him in, you know, he'll have to earn his stripes and such, but he'll do that and he'll work extremely hard and, and I could see him maybe playing later in the year and really being productive in the 2021 season after he gets some experience up under his belt. You know, this, it's funny because I don't want to have a shameless plug, but our little playbook company, Ready Lit Sports, you're going to need it and, and love it for your new gig in high school. Yeah, you yeah, yeah I would love to show you. When we get I would love to show you yeah. and give you a demo. But then also these kids coming from a signal system, picture system, having to call those long, wordy plays now. 
we're hoping uh, to, to crack in there and uh, give them the opportunity, like what we've created this for from two quarterbacks to help that process. Cause it is, it's going to make or break him. If he can even just regurgitate the play call from the OC Steichen into the huddle. Can he do that? I mean, that's such a challenge. So hopefully he can, cause I think yeah. I see big things for Herbert. Well, I think with his, his football IQ and his, how smart he is, I think he'll, he'll he'll adapt to that you know when i was in the run and shoot real quickly it was funny you know our, our plays would be 80 streak 80 z go 81 x go when i got to denver in 1999 after they won back-to-back super bowls we had a play called near right near right tight close f left fake 35 fullback counter qb keep pass right fullback slide right it was 18 words and yeah. I, looked at, I, looked I know at, that play. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I looked at Gary Kubiak, and I'm standing in the huddle in front of Shannon Sharp and Rod Smith and Ed McCaffrey and Terrell Davis. And yeah. They just won back-to-back Super Bowls. I'm like, Gary Kubiak, I called him. I'm like, Koob, I can't remember this. I can't memorize this. I just got here two days ago. Get in here and help me call this thing, you know? So it was, uh, <laughs> it, it was very humbling, very humbling and quite eye-opening. Uh, to be put in that position but yeah you're exactly right I mean some of the words and the, the verbiage is so long but uh, he should handle it pretty well <laughs> you know when I played I I man when I played I never uh, I mean I always had uh, a lot of confidence in my play but if there was anything that I ever questioned is like is making sure that I remember the play or say it correctly uh, because some of the, some of those plays yeah. are just way too long way too long no oh. mm-hmm. yeah so uh, let's talk about and then this. remember the snap count too. You know, you got to oh, remember yeah. the snap count after all that. <laughs> oh, hey, yeah. I had to ask. I asked. I asked Jamie Dukes numerous times. Now, some of it we were out drinking, maybe on Thursday night, the week of a game or something. But you know, I'd ask Jamie, "Hey, man, what's what's it on? What's it on? What I call it? What was it on? One or two? You know, walk, walking walking <laughs> yes. up to the line of scrimmage to your point. So, yeah, you, the plays are so long and wordy, you might forget the freaking snap count. That's that's funny you say that. <laughs> Let's let's talk about uh, I call it the touchdown feeling, which we actually have. I don't think we've ever talked about this yet on the show, but all of us, all three of us on this on this show right now, we know what it feels like when we throw a touchdown. Whether if it's you know we we drop the ball over the shoulder perfectly or we spin the ball through a tight window. But when you think about describing the feeling when you throw a touchdown, like how would you describe that feeling? Oh man, that's a that's a that's another good question. You guys are prepared. I'm impressed. Um, I would say, I would say probably the cool, I know Jake had some good success at fourth quarter game winning drives. I think I might've had nine in my career. I didn't have a great starting record as a quarterback, but I think probably, you know, one that comes vividly to my mind is we're playing the new Orleans saints at home. We're down uh, 27, 21 late in the fourth. And I think it's like fourth and eight, fourth and nine. And we run this Vigo motion back flag. And, and, uh, I drop back and as I'm letting go of the ball, Ricky Jackson and Pat Swilling are lighting me up and, and I let it go well before Andre Risen is out of his cut running a corner route. And it's in a tight coverage inside the 20-yard line. And, and right when I let it go, it felt right. But I didn't get to enjoy it because I was getting hit in the mouth and driven in the ground. And, and uh, Andre caught it just as his head came around. The ball was right there. He caught it, got it right in the front mm-hmm. pylon, uh, pylon and dove. And we ended up winning the game 28-27. So I think when you have those type of plays where you don't necessarily get to see it, but you hear the roar of the crowd, uh, and you know it was successful, plus you got hit in the mouth, and then you're able to get up and kind of enjoy it afterwards. Yeah. That's probably the coolest feeling as a quarterback. Awesome. I feel you there, man. I used to run down and celebrate every touchdown 
at every level, no matter what, yeah. no matter when, because you know you don't know how long that's going to last. And uh, yeah, I love those come from behind victories. I threw one in Philly, last play of the game, a hail mary to the left, but I rolled to the left and I told my receiver, my ex on the backside, I'm throwing this to you because they're rolling the way over. I threw up a big flat fat duck and he came back and caught it dove in and we won the game as the time goes out man and ran off the field like that was one of the greatest touchdowns (laughs) and the feeling Uh, it provided the only bad thing it was the cardinals it was the first game of the year we won that one and i think we proceeded to go three and uh 12 the rest of the way three and 12 so it wasn't the greatest good start that's awesome (laughs) a beaten beaten philly in philly in front of those fans i'm sure that was uh that was that that had to be awesome that's pretty lovely Loved it. Yep. 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 Wait, I think we're ready to bounce a little out of the pocket because these guys are getting tired of blocking for us. So I'm going to start us out, Grant, if you're all right with that. Yeah, let's do it. So here we go. You're, you're a Northwest guy. You're, you're, uh, I imagine a little bit into nature. Um, lately we, uh, here in, in Boulder with me and my wife have been, you know, finding fun things to do with the kids. We've been foraging. So we've been looking for mushrooms, edible mushrooms, and then also, uh, just checking out what's growing around us. So here's one for you. Have you ever done anything with dandelions, like made dandelion pesto or fried uh, the dandelion <laughs> flour and made fritters? I have never made anything with it, but I certainly have enjoyed its beauty. But I have not uh, partaken in a dandelion uh, cooking event at all. No. <laughs> I like how you say it. Don't partake in the dandelion. Well, we did. You, yeah. I highly recommend it. Um, so I know you love bees then, and I imagine you enjoy the, you know, non-pesticides and all that good stuff. So honey or sugar, what do you, what do you like more like in your coffee say? Well, you know, I've never had a cup of coffee, but I am a, uh, I am what? a oatmeal with brown sugar. Yeah. I, I can't drink Ooh. hot stuff, man. I took a, I took a sip of uh, coffee, my dad's coffee in grade school and burnt the heck out of the roof of my mouth and my tongue and lips and. Mm. So I was scarred, and uh, so I've never been a coffee guy. But yeah, I like I'm an oatmeal and brown sugar guy. So I'm a brown sugar guy, but I do like honey on uh, pe- peanut butter and jelly and honey sometimes too. But brown sugar there one, honey one B. <laughs> there we go. All right. Uh, the last one from me is going to be, what's your favorite animal or bird or one that you maybe feel like you have a kindred spirit totem with? Oh man! Well, I love dogs. I'm, I'm a dog person, but I tell you, the, the bald eagle probably is uh, is probably right. my kindred spirit. I'd say, yeah. When I'm out when I'm out fishing on the Umpqua or the Fayusla or down on the road down in Medford or, or somewhere fishing for steelhead or salmon with my guy, my good friend Troy, and and uh, my dad or son and my buddy Tim, uh, you know, we see bald eagles all the time. So I would say it has to be that they are stunningly beautiful and gorgeous and really stand for stand for america stand for something so i'd say that would be it cool (laughs) beautiful i i've got one question and it's literally outside of the pocket question so if 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 you could transform yourself into any quarterback past or present when you are rolling out of the pocket what quarterback would you transform yourself into wow that's another great question i would say you know Growing up, Joe Montana was a was a uh, a guy that I really uh, idolized and enjoyed watching. Um, and then I competed against him and played against him, so that was fun. But I really liked his 
his calmness and his poise. And, you know, when they came back to beat Dallas 28-27 when he threw the catch to Dwight Clark, you know, how calm and how poised he was and how long he extended that thing and stayed calm and put it only in a place where Dwight could catch it. So, you know, I think there are guys nowadays who are more athletic. I mean, Patrick Holmes is sick to watch when he's outside of the pocket. I mean, he's an artist and incredible, but but probably Joe Montana back from, you know, a little bit after my era and during my era uh, was a guy I always respected the gracefulness and, and how he played outside of the pocket. Well, I think Joe uh, Montana is usually a good answer for anything dealing with any quarterback trait or quality or anything, really. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, he covers four it all. Super Bowls, four Super Bowls and pointing out John Candy in the front front of the stand right. in the Super Bowl against the Cincinnati Bengals, you know, on the last two-minute drive. And, yeah, he's he's pretty chill, dude. I got to know Joe, and he's, he's good people. So, yeah. Well, awesome. Well, well Chris, man, this is uh... – this has been a great conversation and uh, you know, we appreciate you being on the show and just sharing your thoughts and your journey. And, and uh, man, this, this, this was a treat, man. We really appreciate it. Well, Grant and Jake, thanks for having me on and, and kudos to you guys for doing these podcasts and, and keeping football fresh and alive as there's none on television right now. So congratulations and keep up the good work. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks Chris, man. It's a pleasure. And uh, I'll get your number from, uh, Grant and reach out here uh, if you want to take a look at what we got and it's been a pleasure having you on the show man 